Welcome to the show. In this one, I have a conversation with Anchorage-based photographer, Carrie Tasker. Carrie says that to be a freelance photographer in Alaska, your skill set has to be versatile. Because Alaska is such a small market, there's not a whole lot of consistency in the type of work you do. Meaning one day you might be taking headshots for a business, and the next day you might be shooting video for a commercial. And whenever you have the time, you focus on your passion projects. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine. And pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Magazine Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, and Aquila Space. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. Okay, back to Carrie Tasker. Carrie says that to keep moving forward in a hyper-competitive field like photography, you can't stand still. You always have to be moving forward. That the reality is, you're only as good as your next project. Because people generally only see the last thing you did, not the last 10 years of your work. Which isn't a bad thing if you believe in natural progression or Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000-hour rule. That the longer you do something, the better you become at it. So here he is, Carrie Tasker. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work. Can you hear my chair? Um, I can hear your chair, I think a little bit maybe. What about that stuff but maybe it just adds to the ambiance okay yeah you know let's be authentic yeah and my, my chair is squeaky so <laughs> how about um when i'm drinking a la oh you got a Lacroix? Ah, yeah but i think you're supposed to pronounce the x are you because i thought i looked it up a while back and it said Lacroix. no it's your it's Lacroix. i just i see an x and i want to say it well, we're American. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it sounds like you have your proper amount of liquids, right? I mean, yeah. I'm going to have to stop and get some coffee at some point. but. Oh, you know what? I think I forgot my coffee in the kitchen, but I think I'm good right now. Sometimes you can have too much coffee. I get there. I, I like to sip. I'll sip until the coffee gets cold, and then I'll have to you know, get a fresh cup. You don't like cold coffee? I'll drink it, sure. Okay. I'm not picky. How much coffee is too much coffee for you? Oh, uh, if we get like into the three or four cups, because I, I space it, you know, I, I just sip. I don't, I don't like chug. Yeah. So it, it's actually hard to tell because the coffee is just kind of always there. 
do some people chug coffee? Well, I don't know. You slam it, you know, you, you're in the morning and you, you drink your coffee and, or maybe you have a task that requires you, uh, you know, you can't hold a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Are we, are we doing the podcast right now? Is that, is this... Yeah, dude, we're just, we're easing into it. Okay. okay. <laughs> is this weird? No, that's kind of what I figured would happen. We're just going to have a casual conversation. Yeah, exactly. So we crossed paths the other day while I was out on a walk jog. Mm-hmm. And I finally got to see your son in person rather than on social media. And he was walking around and everything. Yeah. No, he's a year and a half old. He's walking. He he talks a little bit. Not a lot, but he's he like says things. And uh, he understands a, a pretty amazing amount. And like more every day. It's pretty mm-hmm. crazy. What were his first words? Uh, I think it was wow. Wow? Yeah, like the... Um, Oh, the Owen Wilson. Wow. <laughs> Me and Victoria were doing Owen Wilson. Wow's. And he like piped in. He was like, wow, like a little baby Owen Wilson. Wow. So I'm pretty sure those were his first words. Do you feel like you fully embrace the dad role or are you still getting used to it? Uh, no, I'm all in, you know, we're, we're basically two years into it now. So you gotta um, be. Yeah, no, I mean, if you don't go all in, I feel like you would be miserable, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of, instead of like this, instead of a new chapter in your life, it would be like a burden. So, you know, you can't look at it like that or else everyone would be unhappy. For sure. I feel like that sentiment can carry over to like your entire life. Like what that reminded me of, because I have no kids is the very first time that I ever substitute taught was at this Montessori school that was like very weird, you know, like there there's different variations or gradients of Montessori schools out there. Mm -hmm. Some of them are just like kind of free thinking. It's the whole spectrum. Like they can be really weird where you're singing to the class all the way to you're having students teach the class. Right. So I was at the one where you're singing to the class And I had this moment where the teacher aide was like, okay, well, we sing to the class as we introduce ourselves in the morning. And I had this moment where I was like, okay, my day can completely suck from here on out, or I can just completely embrace this and have like this momentous story of the very first time that I ever substitute taught. And I chose to embrace it. (laughs) what what was the song just introducing myself so in that that like split second moment where i made that decision i was like my name is cody you know that's what you have to do with this podcast from now on right that's how you introduce yourself i hope (laughs) just sing we gotta sing it we could should we sing the rest of this uh interview so it just turns into a musical no never mind that's a that's a bad idea that's a bad idea well you don't like that Oh, I'm uh, your your singing voice is better than mine. We'll just say that. And mine's not good. Yeah, I think if you want to turn it off, if if you want people to shut it off right now, then yes, let's start the singing interview. <laughs> Frozen three featuring yeah. <laughs> Carrie Tasker and Cody Liska. Yeah, real, real. <laughs> what could it? What, what, I'm trying to think of a Frozen joke. I never saw any of the Frozen, so I don't know. 
that's bold to try to make a frozen joke and you haven't seen it. <laughs> uh, something about like, actually, it's lukewarm. Or, nope, <laughs> nope. Shut it, shut it down. So I feel like there's this moment in parenthood where everything changes. Basically, your life is no longer about you anymore. And you start to kind of direct all of your time and energy toward this other thing. Have you noticed anything like that happening to you? Uh, not in any kind of like dramatic sense. Uh, just a, and honestly, uh, I kind of feel like, you know, your priorities shift a bit and things change a little bit. It wasn't this, you know, epiphany or it's, it's, it's more of like a glacial like turn. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm totally fine with it, but there are moments where you're like, well, I, you know, I can't go out to the bars and, and get wasted and come back super drunk because you can't, you can't take care of a, a baby when you're super drunk, you know? So mm-hmm. you're, and it's not like I did that very often anyway, you know? but, um, so in that sense, yeah, you, you know, you suddenly are responsible for keeping this thing alive, but it, uh, I don't know. It hasn't really been that hard. You know, I wonder if, you know, you were just ready for it because one thing that I've heard from parents, it's almost like a cliche at this time um, where they say, you know, your entire life will be changed. You know, everything about your life will be changed. And if you think about it, it's completely true. You know, for the most part, like the things that you do all the way down to like the most minuscule task changes when you have a kid because you have to direct all of their like they take precedent over every single thing you know if you have a meeting and your kid has an ear infection like you got to take care of the ear infection you know right right well um i mean that i'm sure that's part of it where there's you know society tells you it's going to be this monumentous event um but i was just thinking about it uh one of the things that well, the thing that changed our life in that direction, maybe more so than the baby, was um, we got a dog about six months before the baby was born. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was a lot of work. Like, we got this puppy, and he was, like, waking up, you know, all night, and he was pooping all over the place. And, you know, we had never taken care of, uh, you know, we hadn't had a dog before. Well, I had a dog when I was a kid, but not as, like, an adult. And, like that was a huge pain in the butt. So I feel like that sort of set us up to be ready for what the baby was going to do. Mm-hmm. Cause the first couple of months, you know, the baby was waking up and there's, you know, you're just, you, you don't have a lot of sleep and it's stressful. And yeah, you know, I didn't want, I don't want to like downplay any of that. It's still a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it didn't feel like, a, uh, I don't know what you call it. It didn't, it didn't, you know, it, it was life-changing, but not, like, super life-changing. You guys kind of already broke yourselves in with the dog. Exactly. That's smart. Did you guys do that on purpose? No. we uh, Opportunity arose to get this this puppy, so we jumped on it. And that was it. And we, we had no... We thought it'd be... <clears throat> we thought it'd be super easy. You know? We'd be like, oh, dog. Yeah, no problem. But the I, I don't know. In some ways, the dog was, like, harder than the baby. Mm-hmm. we just we might just have like a really cool easy baby so is it kind of crazy to look at where you were like a year 
ago compared to where you are now? Yes. You know, things have changed quite a bit. But um, it's not... I don't know. I'm trying to think of... Uh, it really hasn't been that bad. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I don't have any, like, amazing insights or, you know, words of wisdom uh, just yet, I guess. Yeah, he's only, what, two? Uh, he'll be two in September. Okay, two in September. And, you know, I guess what I was thinking of is I know that you and your wife, Victoria, are very, like, mellow people, you know? And I feel like my wife, Carrie, and I are also relatively mellow. Um, and so our routine probably wouldn't be insanely altered by a child. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned the going out to bars and things like that. Like we don't really do that. You know, we've kind of passed that stage in life. Right. And me and Victoria were like, also like, Oh boy, what happened? We went to some bar that we both used to love and we walked in and we're like, something's different about this place. And we realized we were like 10 years older than everyone else in the bar. We're like, oh, well, I guess that's the, I guess that would do it. Yeah. But yeah, no, at some point your, your life, your life kind of fits these extra animals Mm -hmm. in a way you, you didn't think it would before. Yeah. I think maybe at a certain point you're just ready for the change. Mm-hmm. I think there are probably a lot of people that push back against that change. Like, oh, I'm not ready for that life of domesticity or, you know, whatever. Cause you want, you want to stay where you are if you're headed in a direction that you're unfamiliar with, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not complaining. This is pretty great. Yeah, dude, I'm happy for you. We, we have a pretty nice little setup. Yeah. What about uh, you and Carrie? What's going on there? Are we thinking about having kids? I mean, I don't know. Or a dog, maybe? Well, we have we have two cats. Oh, you have two cats. Yeah, I'm actually looking at one right now as she cleans herself. It's beautiful. It really is. <laughs> I feel like there's a variation of animals, cats and dogs, that they are either the very loud cleaner or like the silent cleaner. And this one is like just the loudest cleaner ever maybe it's like an excess of saliva or whatever i I just don't know uh it could be a combination of you know uh saliva and uh hair density (laughs) and also also licking technique yeah you know some cats just grow up and and they don't learn the proper licking technique and then you're stuck with like a really loud gross cat yeah the thing is is that is probably the only like gross feature about her because otherwise she's just like the sweetest animal well and they will learn Mm -hmm. by you know if you could if you show how to properly lick yeah (laughs) you know they'll pick that stuff up they're smart animals have you seen on um i saw it on social media advertised to me and it was this like not, it wasn't like a tongue attachment, but it goes in your mouth. Like, I guess like a binky. And then on the other side, it's like this tongue and it's supposed to make it so you can actually clean your own cat. Oh, like with your face. <laughs> yeah. Like, like a human can clean their, their cat. Oh yeah. All right. I'm Googling that as soon as we're done here. Cause 
that sounds hilarious. It seems extremely toxic to the human feline relationship. I think you need to get one and do an entire podcast on trying to get your animals to accept you <laughs> as like the alpha cleaner animal in the household. <laughs> you have to assert dominance. Like, I do. Yeah. If you, if you don't, they'll clean. They'll just clean wherever they want and as loud as they want. <laughs> They're challenging your status right now. I think they are. Yeah. I'm surprised you can't hear her cleaning herself. I think I can hear something. You can. Okay. It's like a, it's like a, an ocean far away. <laughs> Okay, so do you feel like your photography has taken a backseat or been deprioritized at all? Uh, no, but we've worked pretty hard to set up a schedule where, you know, I can still work and Victoria still works full time. So we, we, uh, we're both, you know, basically working full time and managing the baby as well. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, certain things did shift, you know, I don't, I don't run off to go shoot Northern Lights as much as I used to, but, um, you know, the Northern Lights are kind of cheesy anyway, so it, 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 it's like, you know, it's all fluff there, so I don't need to be wasting my time with that anyway, but. Well, I had a question that was supposed to go later on, but mm -hmm. it fits right here, and to your comment about Northern Lights being cheesy, I agree with, but not the way you shoot them. Like, I think that you have a, like this just innate sensibility of what to shoot, like to, to make it like a carry task or photo. I, I don't even know what that is, but I mean, what, what compels you to take a photo? Ooh, we're jumping right into the, um, I guess the shorter answer is like a desire to, uh, create, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I feel like everyone has that, right? Everyone's got these things that they do. And um, this just happens to be like what I love to do. And I've been doing it for, uh, I guess, a pretty long time now. So, um, I don't know. Does that, ooh, hmm. well, well, let, let's come back. Let's come back to the, let me, let me. Mull it over. I, I've got, I've got no cool answer for you just yet. No, I think that. That right now, since we're so early on in the podcast, we'll come back to it and maybe we can kind of workshop an answer. Okay. So going back to your photography, have you found yourself doing more stable commercial work over passion projects at all? Uh, yes, I have been seeking out. Yeah, more commercial work, more editorial stuff. Um, the passion projects actually sort of uh, launched themselves you know, without me doing too much into a couple of, uh, well, like one of them is going to be a show at the museum. Actually, it's, it's home right now. It's just waiting for the museum to open. And then the other one was again at the museum. We were projecting images onto the side of the museum and some other buildings. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that was uh, with the help of uh, the museum and uh, Ryan Marlowe and a few other people. And uh, that was, that was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. um, that was a lot of the nighttime light glacier stuff that we were doing. And is that a collaborative effort or is it like you come to them and you're like, Hey, I have this idea. What do you think? That was sort of a collaboration. Well, the images were mostly done already. So I had this, this library and I had shown them at Aquila space earlier. So the series was like in a, in a place where you could display it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then uh, they had this idea to project them on the buildings. So, you know, I worked with them and we ended up doing a couple different buildings. And um, yeah, that, that, at that point it was a collaboration. Mm-hmm. The, I was still doing the images on my own, but we were bringing them, you know, bringing them to the museum and then we were compiling them into, you know, a, a slideshow that we could display on places. You know, getting back to your your job as a photographer, what does your job look like right now during the pandemic? Oh, during the uh, non-existent. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it it stopped the the day that the uh, city went into shutdown, like when the state went into shutdown. I was um, assisting on a clothing shoot in Homer. Like we wrapped up the day Alaska shut down. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Homer was already pretty much shut down at that point, but I was doing some drone work and assisting for this, uh, multi-day shoot down there. And, uh, yeah, when we were done, it was like the whole state was done. And that was the last gig I've had. That was what, eight, nine weeks ago. And it hasn't picked up at all since things are beginning to open back up. Uh, no, I'm getting phone calls now. Uh, but things are scheduled pretty far out. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at the shoots in, in June, July, and, and August. So, so the, the things are on the horizon again, but at the moment it's, it's still the businesses I work with, they're all sort of like, everyone is still in a holding pattern, mm-hmm. even though things are opening up again. And I would imagine those dates are still tentative. Like, let's see what happens. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. What would, your season or what would right now look like if not for the pandemic? Um, you know, I would have been, I would have been doing, uh, uh, some editorial work for a couple of local magazines and, uh, there were a couple of, uh, big commercial gigs that got moved or totally canceled. Um, so what tends to happen is all these larger gigs kind of plant themselves a month or two out. Mm-hmm. And then as the month goes by, I'll get phone calls for like, Hey, can you do something tomorrow? Or, you know, so it's all the smaller things like fill in the gaps around these larger projects. Um, and that's kind of just how it works. And then, you know, we just keep moving along that way. But, um, you know, we had some, a little bit of in-state travel we were going to do and that is, you know, absolutely shut down. And so, yeah, no, it's, you know, springtime is, is normally a pretty busy time for me. So that, that was a, this has been a, a little disappointing. So what are you doing with all your free time? You know, it's funny. It's, it still doesn't feel like that much free time because mm-hmm. I'm watching Zoli. Um, since we don't, <clears throat> we, we would use uh, babysitters and, and grandparents to watch him. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were to scale all that way, way back. So it's basically been me because Victoria still works full time. Mm-hmm. You know, she works from home, uh, you know, cause the paper is still steaming right along. And she's at the Anchorage daily news. Uh, yes, she is. And she's still doing features. She does features, feature edits. And, uh, she's also one of the main desk editors. I would imagine that a newspaper job right now is pretty interesting. Well, they're certainly busy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no shortage of work on their end. I mean, basically, you plop all of the pandemic news on top of everything else that normally goes on. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if anything, we've been busier during this whole time. Mm-hmm. Does it seem like she'll just randomly have to go out to work? For the most part, no. Uh, she's got a pretty set schedule. She does stuff. Um, like what happened today is they changed the schedule on one of her uh, projects. So she had to make sure it was like good to go. So that's why we had to move our, our podcast a bit. But but that normally doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Normally it's pretty set schedule. So you know, we have her schedule and, and, and then I watch the baby and then when she has time off, I, I go do you know, my photo stuff. I've been doing a lot of, uh, I just continue doing my personal projects while during this time off. So. But last night I was actually at a uh, portage at like two in the morning uh, it was like sideways raining. It was like gusting like 30 miles an hour. And I was like trying to get the drone drone to work and the drone. I was like, okay, I'm going to lose the drone. So, um, I used my car headlights to like light up a big, there's a big chunk of ice sitting there right now. So I, I kind of got the car up on the curb and, and aimed the lights that the iceberg and I was running all over the place and put some flashlights in, in the water and stuff. It was a lot of fun. I was the only one out there. I was like, man, I hope my car doesn't break down. Is that ever worrisome to you, like going out on these missions by yourself? Uh, sometimes. I mean, it's it's always in the back of my my head that like, is this an unnecessary risk to take a couple of silly pictures? Yeah, I hope not. Um, but I rarely put myself in an actually dangerous situation. That doesn't happen very often. Has there ever been a time where you do put yourself in that position and? It hits you and you're like, oh shit, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. But then after everything's said and done, you look at the photo and you're like, wow, I guess that was worth it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of times when, you know, we, we may have pushed things a little too far to get an image. Um, last, I want to say last fall, we me and my and my brother and this guy Adam, this ice climber, we we hiked up into uh, Byron. Byron Glacier, right? Yes, Byron Glacier, and it was cold enough that you know things were frozen. There might have been a little bit of snow on the ground. That might have been like an inch or two of snow. And at that point, uh, that's kind of when I think it's like okay to go into ice caves. I don't go anywhere near them during the summer. It's just they're just too unstable. But once things cool down, you're like, yeah, that's true. So we went into the ice cave at the bottom of the glacier there. And we just, you know, we were following Adams, uh, you know, where he was going, me and Tiger were. And he just kept going and going and going and going. And we hiked about a mile under ice. And we came out the other side of the glacier. It was, uh, you know, I'd never done that before. We just popped out on the other side. And, uh, you know, we had, uh, I, I like to use road flares a lot. Because I think it does interesting. The light does interesting stuff with the ice, like the the quality of it. So uh, he circled back and went down a hole. You know, he, he used his ropes to secure himself and like blade back into the ice cave. And we were in that. We were probably in that ice cave for two or three hours. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I saw on a video someone sent a drone through the through the ice cave like a week later, and I saw like right where we had been standing like a huge chunk of the wall had just come down so uh you know i was like oh boy that is right where i was standing so that was sort of an after the fact thing there's a weird i don't know what i don't know how what you call it when you're inside these ice caves but 
like the back of my hair is like always on end. And I was just like, there's a lot of ice directly above my head and it's freaking me out. Like that, that little song is always playing in my head. So, and I don't, you know, it's kind of justified at that point. But so I guess that was a situation where I didn't realize how risky things were until like a week later. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of those things where if you put too much thought into it beforehand, you're just going to talk yourself out of it. Yeah. And it's kind of like a, sometimes you can't mull over the why part of things too much. Like why, why are we sending this guy into an ice hole just to take a picture? Like it's just, it's just a photo, you know, we're not going to change the world here. It's not even like uh, an important photo. It's just, I mean, I thought it was cool looking. Actually, I think we got some great stuff that night, but you know, we're not changing the world. We're not, you know, we were just fucking around basically. So, um, but it was still a lot of fun. Do you ever think about the trajectory of, you know, your photo skills or you as a photographer, like looking back on maybe some of those super early photos and thinking about those missions versus more current missions? Uh, I mean, I, I think about, yeah, the trajectory stuff all the time. I mean, you look back at your old work and you, I, I think cringe is the right word for it. And you go, oh, <laughs> gosh. Uh, you know, I, some of my earlier stuff, I'm just, I was like, I thank God, like Instagram didn't exist yet. Cause I would have, you know, oof, boy. Um, but I think like, you're supposed to do that. Like if you look back at your old work. And you're like, wow, that was the best thing I've ever done. Well, then you're like, you're totally failing at that point then. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's not the direction the curve is supposed to go in, man. So um, uh, it's good when you look back and you go, oh, Jesus. Like, why didn't anyone tell me that was that horrible? I rarely look back at stuff and like what I see. So it's, I'm always trying to push forward. Mm -hmm. Do you think that maybe... You're just being hard on yourself. Um, no, I think everybody does that for sure. Yeah. But as far as like not going back to those pieces of, or those, those photographs, you know, just completely avoiding them because I've had that same thought about a lot of past projects that I've done, but then there are also a lot of past projects that I go back to and I'm still proud of. Hmm there yeah i i would i'm i think i'm right there with you like there's there's little gems you know you go back and you find these little gems you know oh, okay that was actually pretty good but they're in like a the sea of of crap that they are floating in feels like it's much bigger than the than the sea of crap my gems are floating in right now <laughs> yeah you know so the 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 sea is getting smaller and there's more gems but there's it's still this like uh, you know, it's easy to look back and just see the crap, I guess. Yeah, the crap always sticks out above the successes. Yeah, to a certain, yeah, yeah, I guess it does. Maybe I'm just being negative or too hard on myself, but uh, <clears throat> I think you kind of need to be a little bit to like, you know, if you want to keep pushing, you want to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, especially in a, like a hyper competitive field like photography, like you can't, you can't even like stand still. You always have to be like going in a direction like if you're if you're not moving then uh it feels like failure Mm -hmm. 
Can you think of a project that you would consider a failure, but a successful project that came afterward wouldn't exist without that failure? Hmm. Um, yes. So years ago, um, me and my buddy, uh, Ivan Knight, he's a musician. We've collaborated on a couple of our projects before. We were doing this series of photos, uh, and each photo was a different science fiction trope. They're all portraits of women in like science fiction outfits. Mm -hmm. And uh, each one was supposed to be like a trope from science fiction. Like, and, and the whole thing was like sort of commentary on, on why in sci-fi, like women's roles so often get stuck in these like five or six stereotypes. Mm -hmm. um, so we did these pictures and Ivan made this cool ambient music and uh, we built these like homemade soft boxes. We put a lot of work into this project and we displayed it, it was at Sub-Zero. And um, without reading the, you know, the artist statement, you'd look at these pictures and you're like, it, it's a girl holding a, a, you know, a squirt gun that's painted silver <clears throat> or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or they're, they're, they're wearing an old, uh, you know, ski mask that's put lights on it. And that was it, you know? Uh, so that I felt like was like a, like the, the pictures are pretty cheesy and the execution could have been better. And then, you know, the images didn't really stand on their own. Like you, you would not see like, oh, sci-fi trope. You know, mm -hmm. that's not the first thing that comes to mind. You needed context. You needed the context of the artist statement. And the artist statement was like this tiny little piece of paper up in the corner. Uh, so I thought that was kind of, you know, it was like, Oof, but like those pictures are, you know, you're not going to find those on Instagram or on my website. You know, it's like we, I buried that project. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think because of that, it made me like sit down and, and look at like, well, how do I make a series tell the story I need to tell on its own? Um, and I can't think of a, like a, like the, the next project that directly benefited from that. But I think as a whole, you know, you look at, uh, you know, how to relay information in a interesting and, and poignant way. So, you can look back at you know these failures i guess i've never seen those photographs that you were just talking about with the sci-fi tropes but i have seen uh actually carrie and i bought two photos uh from the show that you did at aquila space where in the photos it was like lots of lights i remember this one that we bought was you could see the silhouette or the outline um, at like dusk of the mountains. And then there were, there was like a straight line, like a red line that you had created somehow. And the first thing I thought of was UFO mm -hmm. when I, when I saw that. So I don't know, as far as trajectory goes, like what you learned from what you, you say is, you know, the failed <laughs> sci-fi trope show, maybe it makes more sense now in, um, in that package. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not saying that that was a sci-fi trope but it did seem have like strong sci-fi vibes it was a little yeah it was kind of abstract i think that's the 
I think what you're talking about is the uh, the Cloud Chamber series, I think. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Yeah, that's the thing that uh, the Seed Lab at the museum picked up to do projections with. So that's what we were projecting mm-hmm. for those for those images. You know, I wonder if with the sci-fi trope idea, if the idea was there and it could have been executed better. Maybe it's one of those things that... I mean, like we all do, we, we keep coming back to like an idea that we want to execute better or that we're waiting until we can execute it. You know, there are directors out there that have, you know, their their first projects that, that they have been working on or an early project that they've been working on forever. But they're like, you know, effects aren't there yet or I can't afford to make this. And then eventually, you know, when they get to a point in their career where they're like, OK, I'm going back to that thing. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I have those those types of projects or I have themes that I keep coming back to over and over again. Um, I don't think, yeah, I don't think sci-fi is really like the term I would use, mm-hmm. but sort of this out outdoor, out, out kind of abstract uh, otherness is definitely something I try to inject or, you know, something a little different or a little strange, you know, not, not too crazy. I don't want to get too crazy, but. <laughs> uh, I don't. It's it's hard to. It's funny. It's like I, I have to write stuff about this and artist statements and all these things. And now that I'm talking about it, I'm having a hard time describing any any of the things I do. But um, just being a little different. Yeah. And I know that's like really like a kind of a super cliche thing to say, but I think it I think it applies. So I'll say it anyway. <laughs> Well, I I completely agree with you about the artist statement thing because I somewhat recently had to write one of those. And although I'm doing the podcast every single week, it's very difficult or I found it very difficult to explain what it is on like the fundamental level, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like you're, uh, it's hard to see the big picture when you're in the weeds a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I think both of us, like I'm, I'm, I produce as much content as I can, and I, boy, I hate to use that phrase, like producing content. Ugh, it's so gross. But, uh, I think you're right there with me. You're like creating continuously. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you're down in it, it's you're not really even thinking about it. You're just doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, you you have that compulsion to like, oh, I have to go do stuff. I have to you know, make sure something is happening. You know, I talked to this UFC fighter on the podcast a while back, Lauren Murphy, and she brought up the idea of a flow state. Are you familiar with that? Uh, yes. I, you know, remind me again. I've, I've heard the term. But. I think it just means basically that like you're on it, you know, like everything that you are attempting to do, you are doing it to the best of your ability because you have been practicing your entire life. Kind of like the, Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours thing, right? Mm -hmm. You have achieved all of that and you are the best version of yourself attempting to do that thing as you can. Does that make sense? Yes. And so I think that getting back to what you were saying, when you find yourself like just doing the thing constantly, you know, say for me, uh, doing another podcast next week will be another podcast and another podcast. And I'm just moving forward, you know, 
just living in the present. And for you, it's like, all right, what projects next? What, what show do I need to work on? What, what work do I need to accomplish now? And it's almost like that mentality of like, you're only as good as your next project. Well, and that's not a mentality. That's a very real reality. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. People see the last thing you did. They don't see the last 10 years. Yeah. That's, that's 100% true. Yeah. And that's scary. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that applies to things like uh, social media too. Mm-hmm. I was trying to come up with like kind of a slick way to describe your photography. And I just kept coming back to, I don't know, this word varied. So, so you'll post this badass photo of the Northern lights, like we talked about earlier, but then you'll post a landscape shot with like crazy lights in it. Mm -hmm. Like you mentioned that, that show that you did, or you'll post a unique portrait. And this gets back to our earlier question about what compels you to take a photo. Oh, is it? Is, are we, we're we're asking. We're 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 back, huh? I haven't had time. To, I haven't had time to think about it. But um, what compels me to take a photo? Um, I might just fall back on this thing: this desire to create and a desire to uh, uh, make something worthwhile or or make something interesting. Or, uh, you know, I'm not really worried about um, making something that someone will like or dislike, but uh, as long as it, um, you know, as long as there's a reaction, you know, if there's no reaction, then that's a clear failure. If there's just dismissal, then, then that's a failure. But if there's a, you know, I'm into it or I'm not into it, well, then I think you're, you're getting somewhere. You're going you're going in a direction again. Mm -hmm. um, so I, and I think that's kind of what it comes down to. I think if I wasn't, if I wasn't a photographer, I'd be doing something else that was um, in a creative field. Like what? Um, you know, like uh, uh, graphic design or, or drawing or uh, you know, painting or any of these, those, these sorts of processes a lot of those are like solitary jobs too. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. I guess you, you don't really see teams of painters doing stuff, but um, yeah, well, a lot of what I do is pretty solitary. Like most mm -hmm. of those, there's been a few instances like uh, on the cloud chamber series where, uh, you know, there's one or two pictures where uh, Ryan Marlowe helped out with the drone. Cause he's, he's got this giant monster drone with a huge light. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. But other than that, uh, it was just me by myself, you know, going out and finding these things. And it takes a couple of hours to go out and do this stuff. Um, and then, you know, same thing last night, you know, messing around with icebergs. And so a lot of this is, uh, it's, I don't know, there's something about going off and doing, doing a thing that no one else is doing. And, and okay, so that sounds cheesy again. Uh, you know, other people are doing things, of course, but in that spot at that moment i'm definitely the only one doing it um the whole time i was out at portage last night i didn't see a single i was out there for two hours you know it was raining sideways and it was pretty uncomfortable but it's like oh no one else is out here trying to take this weird photo so mm -hmm. the photos might suck i haven't even looked at them yet but uh i think there's that that desire to to document something a little a little differently 
I think is, um, you know, that's kind of what drives me forward. I like what you keep going back to is you'll describe yourself out on a shoot and then it always falls back to, Oh, you know, the photos might suck. And what that keeps reminding me of is after I finish editing a podcast every week. So I'm not actually like listening to it for the conversation or whatever, as I'm editing through it, I'm just making it listenable for listeners. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. And after I'm finished with that process and it's out there for mass consumption, my initial thought after I've spent all this time with that audio is, oh God, I bet it sucks. (laughs) And then then I have to go back and listen to it as a listener and I'll listen to it. I'm like, oh, that was pretty good. I think that really like captured the essence of that conversation. And my Carrie, my wife, I'll say that to her and I'll say it like, I'll say it a number of times a week. And she's like, can you just shut up? You know, like <laughs> they're, they're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But it's like, like you're protecting yourself or something. Uh, I mean, maybe a little bit. Well, I just don't want to, like, there are so many good artists and photographers in Alaska doing like great, amazing stuff mm-hmm. that uh, there's a little, there's this thing where you're like, yeah, I'm doing cool stuff too but these other guys wow such amazing work so whether it's healthy or not i'm always framing what i'm doing with what everyone else is doing around me i I think one of the shitty parts about being a photographer in alaska um is uh, all these out-of-state photographers are always coming in Mm -hmm. and doing these like giant epic gigs like i just saw literally this morning i saw this one guy came up doing an ad for these phase one cameras which is like super expensive medium format fancy cameras they're like fifty thousand dollars anyway a little two-minute video is all about him in the wilderness and the whole thing was shot and turning an arm on the side of the road but they framed it so it looked like they were out in the wilderness Mm -hmm. you're like man i could have done that so uh and you and that happens over and over and over again you know like or or Maybe not me, but, you know, one of the other two dozen, three dozen, you know, fantastic photographers in the state could have easily done that like, mm-hmm. and done it much better and not done a silly thing on the side of the road to try and make it look like you're on the woods. But like they would have known where to go to make these to make something amazing. But Yeah, I feel like that happens quite a bit, no matter what you're into, whether it's photography, whether it's like, I've seen that happen in snowboarding, Mm, you know, mm -hmm. where you're like, Oh my gosh, I know exactly where that is. And it comes off corny, you know, to, to the people that know the experience. Right. So you as a photographer looking at those shots and you're like, Oh my God, that's on the side of the road, dude. Mm. You know, I could have made that way more authentic to the point where it appeals to the audience that lives in that area, you know? Right. Exactly. Well, speaking of snowboarding, um, I hung out with your dad <clears throat> about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I hopped on his, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, surfing surfing charter. I had never done that before. That was pretty cool. Yeah, dude, you shot some great photos. There's this like follow cam um, where you're following a surfer. Uh, Tyler, maybe, I think his name is. That was Tyler, yeah. Yeah, and he's just he's just a really good surfer. And was that a drone? Yes. So as I'm watching that shot, 
I'm thinking like you're close, right? Pretty close, yeah. And are you on shore? No, I was shooting from the boat. Oh, so you have like the goggles on and everything, right? No, so it's not that. It's not like a. It's not one of those drones. It's still just a your standard consumer drone. But uh, I have a little iPad that I watch everything through, so I I see what the drone sees. But oh, I see. But yeah, that was pretty stressful. I was probably lower than I should have been. I was like in between, you know, I was bringing it down to get into the gullies of the waves and then coming back up again. I was trying to get as close as I could. Basically, I was trying to make it like not feel like a drone shot mm-hmm. or, you know, it's like static and far away. Um, so I was trying to make it as dynamic as I could. And uh, Tyler, of course, he's amazing. So, you know, he hopped up on this wave and did this amazing thing right in front of the camera. It's like, it was really pretty easy on, on my end. <laughs> and what kind of camera is attached to the drone? Oh, that just comes with a camera. It's a little, it's a little 20 megapixel. Actually, it says Hasselblad on the front of it, but it's, it, that's just a sticker. But uh, it's a little uh, Mavic 2 or whatever. And is it waterproof? It, absolutely not. No. <laughs> no, if a, if a wave got it, that would be the end. That's got to be kind of nerve wracking, like you said. Yeah. Well, and then... <laughs> A side effect. So, um, you know, the boat I was on was still, you know, we were pretty close to shore. Mm-hmm. So it was rocking back and forth. And I'm staring at this iPad. And um, man, I, I got a little bit seasick because I wasn't looking at the horizon ever. It's like yeah. staring at this pad, trying to not crash the drone or like run into anybody. So, yeah, no, that was an experience. I had never, so I've been shooting these uh, Bortide surfers for years. Mm-hmm. as one of my side projects but i had never actually shot a regular surfer on a regular wave before so this was actually the first time i would ever done that so um that was kind of why I, you know tyler had invited me out and so i kind of took that opportunity i was like i wonder if i can even do that so and i i had i had big plans i was gonna like hop on the water i had this like waterproof it kind of looks like a like a large condom type thing that like wraps around your camera to make it make everything waterproof and i was gonna like splash around uh but we got out there and the waves were were fucking huge and uh and you know one of the surfers came back almost immediately he's like i'm dying i got water in my throat i'm dying (laughs) and he was like puking off the side of the boat and stuff and i'm like looking at these waves i was like uh (laughs) you know maybe just the drone just the drone today I'll, I'll hop in the water next time what was your first time yeah and i i totally checked it out i was like you know what <laughs> also i was looking at the waves i was like this, this little camera apparatus i have is going to get destroyed so i need to come back I, I i do want to come back i need to get an actual water housing though do it right you know i wonder how would you describe being a photographer in Alaska to someone who's not familiar with it. You know, I personally, I, and, uh, you know, I don't really know, but I think, uh, being a photographer in Alaska, being a freelance photographer, um, you, and I see this with lots of people I know, you have to be good at sort of everything Mm -hmm. because the market can't, doesn't really have room for specialization. I mean, there are a few people who are doing it, who are doing it pretty well. Uh, you know, there's like, we have like two fashion photographers and, you know, 
there's a there's a couple people who only do one particular thing but almost everyone else kind of has to like have this broad portfolio of stuff they can do because um there's such a wide range of of things that are coming up um and there's not enough consistency in gigs that you can be like i only do this Mm -hmm. um so i think maybe that and maybe that's the case and i've i've never worked in other smaller markets before so i don't really know but Personally, that's what I've noticed. So that's like, I kind of like added drone work that I can do. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people that do that or, you know, being able to shoot film as well as video and uh, make movies and, uh, you know, uh, finding finding a little bit of this, this extraness to bring to the table, which is probably what people are doing everywhere again. But, um, I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question or not. No, it does. It, it seems like, um, again, I can identify with that. I'm not a photographer, but I do understand having to be good at so many things at once because you have to be ready for the opportunity when it arises. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. That's it. Yeah. For whatever shows up, you have to be, uh, able to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess an example, uh, this winter, like in between January and March, when things were still happening, like the range of stuff I did. So I worked on a shoot that was, uh, we started in Anchorage and we went all the way to Fairbanks in one day. Mm-hmm. And that actually, so, boy, it got really cold. Like, it was like, a, I think it was like February. And by the time we were up near Fairbanks, like, like negative 20. I was trying to fly the drone around and it, like did not, you know, it wasn't a fan of that weather and, you know, your fingers controlling the, the buttons, like were just for, Oh God, it was painful. But, <laughs> and then like two days later I was doing like 20 headshots in a studio. So, uh, you know, just like the range of, of stuff that you need to be able to do, you know, and, and you have to be like a, like a nice person too. You can't be a dick, but for sure. You know, I, I bet that that's, uh, that variety is actually pretty comforting as well. I mean, to the, to be able to go out on these adventures where, you know, you're worried about your gear, you're, uh, worried about getting trapped in an ice cave. You're worried about, you know, drowning your drone under a wave, but then say you come back on Monday and you have to get those headshots. That seems a little bit like, okay, I know how to do this. You can kind of be more relaxed. You will accept, you know, whenever I, whenever I get that mindset where I was like, I got this, uh-huh. that's when, you know, I, I totally fuck something up. So <laughs> I sure, try yeah. to, I try to intentionally always be nervous <laughs> with like every assignment and like, or, you know, some local magazine needs a, a quick photo right mm-hmm. don't think of it like a oh it's just some local magazine needs a photo like like treat it like the new york times is asking you to take a picture you know like uh, uh and that's that's really hard for me i you know i don't always do it but like i always try to make myself care about everything i'm doing mm-hmm. that's great i i love that treat everything like it's the new york times or it's you know some big legacy publication yes treat everything like like we were saying earlier 
like this is the thing that everyone's going to see they're not going to see any of your other work mm-hmm. you know this is the latest thing you just you just did this you know is is it you know worth would you put this on instagram or would it you know like um so i that's I, I try really hard to do that. Well, and I think that most, if not every creative project has two lives, right? So you have the, the initial life of the final product going out there to, let's say a publication, right? And then you have the life that the individual creates for it. You know, say you post your photos to your Instagram and then that is an entirely different life from say the publication that it was originally published in. Yep. And, uh, you know, there's stipulations with that too. Sometimes like sometimes they buy all the rights. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that image lives with them forever. But other times, yeah, you shoot a thing, they use it once and then you can do whatever with it. So, um, but yeah, no, these little, these things take little lives and they kind of go in different directions and, Sometimes it's surprising what what one image, like what doors uh, like a photo can open. Do you have any advice for remaining independent and not falling into trends in photography? Uh, uh, no, 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 no advice there. Um, I <laughs> well, because I don't think trends are necessarily a bad thing. So mm-hmm. uh, I think if you want to hit a trend, uh, like jump on it, like. If you, I don't know, I, yeah, right. Like trends can be overdone and silly and and whatever, but they can also help. Like, like maybe the the clients you're working with want that look, or mm-hmm. um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, dismiss anything because other people are doing it. But um, I don't know. I don't know. I I. I guess it's hard for me to answer that because I don't, I don't really worry about that too much. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I absolutely pay attention to what people in the local community are doing because I think what they're doing is really great, and I love, I'm like a big fan of everyone's work. Mm-hmm. Um, but nationally, like, I look at some of the bigger artists and I look at random stuff on Instagram, but I don't really worry about trends. It, it just, it just doesn't. Uh, compute into my like uh, equations when I'm when I'm working on what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I also think that career advice is tricky because everyone has such a different path. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to give advice, it's going to be difficult because like we talked about earlier, you know, we're only as good as our next project. <laughs> so like, if we're currently in the midst of this career, it's very difficult to be like, do it this way because, you know, maybe that way failed for us. You know, the one time that we tried to, you know, do it this way. Or like you were saying earlier, the, the sci-fi tropes, right? Like you look at that as, Oh, that, that one didn't go that well. So you wouldn't try to imbue like that knowledge onto somebody else. Well, and on top of that, like the markets are changing so fast. So, uh, you know, when I was first getting into photography, you know, Instagram didn't exist. Social media wasn't really a thing. I was still like, I went to art school. I picked the school. Well, for two reasons. One, it was like 
the cheapest art school on the West Coast. But also, it had a really great darkroom, like just top-notch. Yeah. It had uh, three three separate darkrooms. It had like a beginner darkroom, uh, an advanced black and white darkroom, and it had a color darkroom, which is just like, it was like, man, that blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Anyway, for two years, that's all I did. I just did darkroom stuff. I did like split toning and all these different crazy things, like in that darkroom for hours and hours and hours. And then I came back my junior year and one of the dark rooms was gone and had been replaced with computers and so it's like what what so i i do this get this question every once in a while of like advice and i was like shit, i don't know i spent two years in a dark room during the age that digital cameras were coming to fruition it's like i certainly don't see what things are coming like mm-hmm. <laughs> like i almost always gets wrong when it comes to uh trying to figure out what's happening next so uh yeah i i would say i'm the my advice is do not take any of of my advice like go ask uh you know someone else (laughs) that's that's great advice stop stop asking me all these damn questions stop bugging me go ask someone else (laughs) yeah (laughs) so our mutual friend jovel gave me some questions to ask you oh no okay (laughs) <laughs> and for listeners who are unfamiliar with Jovell, he is also a local photographer here in Anchorage. But let's start with this question because it gets to what you were just talking about. So what do you think about the film versus digital argument in photography? Um, at this point, I think it's irrelevant. Uh, <clears throat> mostly because I think if you... Well, I guess there's, there's, I guess there's two different ways you can look at it. From the photographer side, it's, it's all about like, well, do you want that particular aesthetic, and are you willing to wait for film to get developed, and are you willing to pay for roles, and are you willing to like endure the the harder challenge of actually getting a proper exposure on film, and uh, you know, the potential loss of uh, screwing up the negatives and it, like the the process is so much longer on film mm-hmm. uh that it's a and it you know it's an intentional choice you know which is like the exact opposite of digital with digital you can do anything and whatever and go nuts mm-hmm. uh you know with film it's such an intentional choice that that's the aesthetic you are going after and that's like film sort of holds a little bit of this level of auth- authenticity to it that i think digital has lost or doesn't has never really had um you know you can you look at it and even though you're looking at it on a computer because no one makes prints you still you still somehow like sense you're like this feels like it was a physical object like the the negative was was real it's a real thing as opposed to the digital files which were you know have never been a physical object You know, I talked to Brian Adams on the podcast a while back, and I'm pretty sure he's the one who said this, but I asked him a technical question about his camera. Like, what kind of camera does he use? And he said, is it the Hasselblad? Is that how you pronounce that? Uh, Yeah. And he said that he uses that because it just feels right, right? Like, he, he was talking about other cameras just didn't feel right in his hand. And to me, that's what I was thinking of as you were explaining. It's just, it doesn't, it's about personal preference, but it gets down to something kind of like as, as personal as that. Like, I just, I can't work with this camera because it, my fingers don't work the way that I want to with it, you know? 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that, yeah, that's, uh, I guess that cuts kind of right to it. It's like, it's, it's the thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, for, for me personally, because I do shoot some film, I shoot, I need like a reason to do it. Maybe like the aesthetic of film will fit this particular project. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, I also like to shoot it. For some reason, I like doing snapshots with film more than just like random shots with digital stuff. Again, because it it gives this air of authenticity and you only have, like the camera I'm using, you only, you only get like eight, eight or nine shots and then that's it. You're all done. Mm-hmm. I was looking at this next question and I was, I was contemplating asking you or not asking you, but. Oh, don't, don't, don't ask me then. Don't. <laughs> just don't even bother. Yeah. <laughs> just, just don't ask. <laughs> well, I think that Jovell gave it to me because I feel like he gave it to me for a reason. So here it is. Have you found any artists through social media that are making work that resonates with you? Oh, I think I'm supposed to say Jovell right here. Oh, <laughs> that would make sense because these yeah. other two questions <laughs> would fit that. Um, <laughs> uh... Through social media, you know, um, I do. And uh, actually, that's one of my favorite aspects of Instagram is, uh, you know, following all these uh, really interesting photographers all over the world doing just amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the drawback of Instagram is like, I don't really know their names. You know, I know that I know that the picture in their profile mm-hmm. and their handle and their handle. But I don't. I don't even look at their names anymore. So, um, God, I wish I could tell you. I remember the the photographers from art school that I was following, like uh, Gregory Crutzen and Jeff Wall, and like you know, these are like old pillars of of you know contemporary art photography and. Mm-hmm. Um, but the new stuff, you know, I'm still following it. I still, man, I love what people are doing. Um, but uh, the names are hard. Unless I have my phone in front of me, like I can find these people. Mm-hmm. And it takes me a couple seconds to find them. But their names are not in my brain. Yeah, that's what's funny about Instagram is you start referring to people as their Instagram handles. People do that to me all the time. Tasker Tasker? Yeah. <laughs> it's a, a surprising number of people around town. Like I walk into Beartooth and people are like, hey, Tasker Tasker. Mind, mind your own business. Yeah. I don't know anything. Don't ask me any questions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wrote this down um, earlier. You were saying that you're just a fan of a lot of local photographers. What photographers are those? Um, well, I, yeah, so we have, uh, Brian and Ash are both amazing. Adams. Adams, the Adamses. We've got Josh Corbett. He does really great film stuff and his photography is like fantastic too. Um, we've got, uh, Mark Lester and Lauren Holmes at the ADN. Mm-hmm. Those guys are doing really great stuff. Uh, Nathaniel Wilder. He's really great. Um, who else? I get I get down this list and I start forgetting who who I've already named. Well, you forgot Jovell. Oh, well, I already mentioned him. <laughs> uh, but no, the 
I mean, I think you're doing a good job. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of who else. I started good and then I, I tapered off. Um, there's a uh, uh, oh boy. What's his name? He's a photographer in Juno. Uh, shoot. I know Jeremy Lavender in Juno. Oh yeah, he's good. He does the the snowboard stuff. Hmm. Um. trying to think there's someone was doing some really great stuff and now i can't remember you know what uh i'm gonna cheat a little bit i'm i'm pulling up my phone yeah go ahead oh so yeah uh young kim he had work up in the museum for a long time Mm -hmm. he's great yeah uh emily mesner i don't know i don't know if i got her name right she used to work at the cordova times I'm not totally sure what she's up to now, but she was doing really great stuff. Mm-hmm. I think I actually follow her. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, there was... Ah, well, I, there's lots of, you know... There's a whole gang of them. There's just... I would say there's there's a solid 20 or 30 photographers that I sort of consider my peers. And they're all just doing fantastic stuff. You know, I think this all really gets to the heart of this next question, which is what's the story behind your green trucker hat? Oh, uh, the, the Lopez kayak hat. I'm not sure. This is an, another Joe Vell question. Oh, of course it is. Okay. That's funny. Uh, I haven't worn that hat in a long time. So, uh, I, I like to wear hats cause I, my hair is always kind of unruly and, uh, I hate messing with it. So I just put a hat on. Mm-hmm. And that is probably like the 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 lamest, boringest story behind like <laughs> that's it. You just put a hat on. <laughs> I just well, I have I see the hat and I put the hat on, and there's the story. There's no like, there's no great story of like no. how you got the hat it's or like, what the actually, hat represents. Yeah, my dad was dying, and this was his last wish: is that I always wear a hat, and <laughs> if I take it off, you know. I, my ear goes numb. I don't know. <laughs> no, just a hat. That's great. I think that last Jovel, that last question was kind of dumb. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do the opposite of uh, uh, the Annie Zink thing. You know, she she's always like, "Oh, that's a great question." Whenever whenever she gets asked questions. Yeah, yeah. They're like, "No, that's a that's a dumb question." <laughs> I like this persona that you have created throughout this entire podcast of. Don't ask me any questions. And that was a dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about actually beforehand, I was like, what if I just, you know, cause everyone's always like, Oh, great question. Let me ask. We're like, well, that's a really dumb question, but I'm going to answer it anyway. You know, you asked it. You're like, great. Thanks. <laughs> really happy to be here. <laughs> well, that, that does it for my stupid questions. Gary. Oh, okay. Well, I think mo- the, your questions were great. It was Javel's questions were horrible. Unless you have anything else you uh, want to add to that, um, no, I don't. I, I don't think so. How many of these podcasts have you done now? I think this will be episode seventy-one. Wow! Yeah. Did you have fun? Yeah, this was great. Is it better than you thought it was going to be? It's about what I thought it would be. Really? Yeah, it's right. It's right where I thought things would happen. Yeah. No, this is. Uh, it's not worse. Was there a worst case scenario? You're like, I could go into this and it could just be like, Oh, it just, just, you know, maybe just every question is painful and 
He's like, why does he keep digging for my soul? Or, you know, I don't know. <laughs> or maybe we could do something. Could this be the podcast where it's just like 45 minutes of silence? Yeah, just dead air. Could we get real? We could get real art, artsy with it. It's not dead air. Like you can still hear us breathing. <laughs> or what if we went about our daily routine? Like you could still hear your son and you could hear my cats cleaning themselves. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like, yeah, two phones that have butt dialed each other and we're just going to listen in for an hour and a half. Oh my, I feel like if Andy Kaufman was still around, that would be one of his, his gags. This is where we're going with that. This is where, I mean, I think for your hundredth, you know, if you, if you continue making these for another 20 or 30, mm-hmm. uh, you should do something wacky. Get do a, do a wacky one. A butt dial episode. Yeah. That's it. I will reconvene with you on the hundredth episode and it will be the butt dial episode. Okay. I'm not, I don't put me on stone on that, but you know, that's we'll work on the details, but yeah. 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 We'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Carrie, dude. It was awesome talking to you, man. Yeah, you too. Thanks. All right. Take it easy. Thanks. Bye-bye. For more information about how you can support local grassroots journalism, go to www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats.